0: fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle podcast. The Peristyle podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle podcast, USCfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 36 of the Peristyle podcast. This week on the podcast we got a very special show for you. We have Harvey Hyde of course in the first segment and we'll be talking to ESPN's Bruce Feldman, who covers college football extremely well. We'll also talk to Dan Wiecki, our uscfootball.com beat writer. He went up to Pullman, Washington, and he will be going to Tucson, Arizona to cover the team this weekend as they play the Arizona Wildcats. If you have any questions for us here on the podcast, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We'll try to get your questions answered on the air. And as always, in the first segment, you can hear them on the Sunday brunch on ESPN 710 a.m., you can also hear him on the pregame show. Coach Harvey Hyde, how are you doing today, Coach?
2: Ryan, I'm doing just great. And it's always great to be with you and uh, have an opportunity to talk about Trojan football.
1: Definitely. And, Coach, I just want to thank our sponsor for this segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com if you need tickets for any of the upcoming home games. you got homecoming coming up against Washington. And, of course, big matchup against Cal all in the beginning of November. Give them a call, one 800 888 7287 Concert, Sporting Events, or Theater. If you need tickets, give them a call.
2: And uh, I use them, and of course, uh, I suggest you use them. Southern California Ticket Service, give them a call. You know, I, before we get started and we talk about the Washington State game, and I'm sorry I'm interrupting you here because I didn't even remind uh, talk to you about this, I just want to say that yesterday over at uh, the Galen Center, I had an opportunity to attend uh, a memorial celebration for Craig Fertig. And I, I just want to pass on to the Trojan family and everybody who knew Craig that it was a real celebration. Uh, Pete Carroll spoke, Mike uh, Garrett spoke, uh, Rod Sherman, Dave Levy, Terry Donahue, John McCade, Jr. It was just a a great, great opportunity for all the past players, past coaches, administrators, fans. It was open to the public to come to the Galen Center and Just hear about Craig Furtig and his life. Uh, I learned many things about him. I knew him very close. They called him the Needle when he came out of high school because he was so skinny when he was a quarterback at Huntington Park High School, and uh, his dad was called the Chief. And it was just a to be able to be around Ronnie Lott and Ron Yeri and, you know, Anthony Davis and Mike Garrett and Pete Beathard and John Hewitt, who was a Heisman Trophy winner at. At Notre Dame, I mean, to be around these type of people, it was just a tremendous tribute to a tremendous person, Craig Ferdy, who's been my friend for a long time. And I just wanted to say that in starting our show today.
1: Well, hey, Coach, uh, excuse me, Coach, thanks for doing that. Uh, you got me a little uh, choked up there. Uh, some of the younger Trojan fans might not you know, know the name. Definitely give it, you know, you can Google it and the people will be talking about it. On the message boards, or asking if you know, you know some Trojan fans that have been around a little bit longer than you. Ask him about Craig Furtig because he's he was so instrumental in the program. He was involved, you know, as a player, and then you know for the rest of his life he was involved in USC.
2: He certainly was. In fact, uh, when Terry Donahue was speaking, uh, Terry says, "You know, you guys over here aren't that bad. I'm having fun today." He says, uh, "I didn't know it was like this over at USC." He <laughs> says, after being head coach at UCLA for 20 years and. He says, Craig Ferding's always been my friend because he got the Oregon State job and I didn't. He says, <laughs> we both interviewed for it. He says, he got that and I stayed back at UCLA. And the next year I became the head coach at UCLA. So I've always thanked Craig for that.
1: That's great. I, I'm probably, hopefully, I'll be able to see uh, Coach Donahue today, Coach, when I go in and tape uh, the NFL Network segment on uh, College Football Now. There's a little plug. So if you can see me. On Wednesday, College Football Now on the NFL Network shows at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, and they replay it a couple of times. But Coach Donahue's on there all the time, so I usually get to see him when I go into studio there. He's, a, he's a, you know, obviously a UCLA guy forever and ever, but just such a nice guy. He's fun to talk to. and It's fun to talk uh, college football with him.
2: He really is. He's a nice guy. And I might see him this afternoon. Uh, today is Wednesday because we're going to be having a little wake tribute to uh, on 4th Greg Furtick down in Newport Beach, and of course that's where... Terry lives, so I'm hoping he drops by.
1: Oh, okay, so maybe he won't be on the show today. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Um, well, anyway, Coach, thanks for doing that. I'm sure that was uh, it's nice for some of the Trojan fans to hear about what went on there yesterday down at USC. Um, what went on Saturday up in Pullman, Washington, kind of a different story. I don't remember seeing a game like that ever before. It just, I mean, USC's killed some people, but never in the first half when you're up 41 nothing and Inside the red zone, still half a minute left. You have timeouts, and the team just walks off the field. I mean, Pete Carroll knew they could pretty much do whatever they wanted. They, they weren't really leaving points on the table there. They were just kind of being merciful.
2: I agree with you, and I'll tell you, I've never seen a team It was like skeleton or it was like a, a script uh, practice that you just would uh, let everything go right for you. It's like a confidence builder. I mean, I've never seen a team go down the field on the first drive so easily in my life and score. And uh, it wasn't like they just scored. It was like people were wide open or holes were white there. It was like running against air. And uh, I agree. Uh, To see a Washington State program uh, be at this level, it's hard for me to understand how that could happen so quickly. When you look back at that program and you – you remember Mark Rippon, and, uh, Drew Bledsoe, Ryan Leaf. Uh, I mean, Alan, uh, Alex Brink, or wasn't it an Alex Brink or Alan Brink, or whoever the quarterback yeah, was, who was just. Brink, yeah. I mean, great throwers, great skilled players. I mean, when you used to go to uh, Pullman, it used to be a, a shootout. And it, was just, it just wasn't that type of atmosphere or game. In fact, I don't know when the last time SC went to to Pullman when it wasn't a sellout and then you were there I wasn't there but uh, that's absolutely amazing you know
1: it definitely was and I, there was a lot of buzz I mean it, in practice this week people weren't really ta- I mean you kind of get over who the opponent was that quickly because I, I guess you could go two different ways you could have an undermanned opponent that's going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you or you could have an undermanned opponent that basically is saying you know I just don't want to get hurt we're going to whimper away and and try not to get killed too badly obviously Washington State um, was the latter but there people were talking about the offensive line I mean you had two new starters coming in there you had Nick Howell at right tackle Alex Parsons at right guard because uh, you know Butch Lewis and Zach Heberer were both out sickness and injury Uh, those guys are coming back to practice this week coach so it's interesting to see if they're going to get their starting jobs back but Nick Howell you know, never started before. He got 21 pancake blocks in that game. I mean, that for, to let a first-time starter on your home field do that, it, it just seems mind-boggling to me.
2: No, and you know, I mentioned it on the Trojan Brunch. We were at one of our breaks, and I was talking with uh, the uh, the show guest and, and all of us there, Dale Rideau and Mark Willard. And I said, did you guys watch Nick Howell play? And this is before anybody brought this up. And I watched him closely in the game because I like to watch Tyrone Smith. I like to watch new players, watch them perform and so on. And I noticed that right away. He was really exceptional on pass blocking too. Now, again, I don't know what type of an opponent he was going against. So everything is, you know, depending on how good of a player you're going against. But as far as for a first-time starter, I think he went out there and did a tremendous job. And uh, I'll tell you what: if if you get your opportunity, even like uh, the rest of the players got their opportunity, we had three 100-yard rushers in the game. I mean, look, look at the opportunity that the backs got, uh, as far as uh, uh, Green and and uh, Johnson and and Gable all rushing over 100 yards, and Green getting 123 yards, I believe it was the leading rusher. So, when they call your number. And you get that opportunity, and you are a great player. You've got to be ready to play. And they have gone in there, Parsons uh, and uh, Howell. And, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you, they've just uh, done a, a, a great job. And you've got to say, hey, Alex Parsons, when you get your chance to start? Take advantage of it, because the other person might never get his job back. I mean, let's take a look at the nose guard, Spicer. I mean, he started the game, and against Arizona State had a or not Arizona, Oregon State had a few problems with penalties. Heck, what is he third club now on the depth chart? I mean, so that's what makes competition. That's why you go to USC because you want to compete, you want to play with the best, you want to get better every single day, not just in the games. And when given that opportunity, you want to perform. And these kids went in there and performed. Now, when they do perform, hey, you know, the other guy's got to fight his way back into that position. So uh, I think it's great that those guys had a chance to perform against Washington State. I think It was a great win for the Trojans. I mean, it wasn't a real you know, a game that, uh, that was against a real dominant opponent, but I think, they, I think they needed a morale game. I think they needed to have things go right where people said good things. I mean, I think they needed to all get on the plane and come back and say the offense played well, the defense played well. All the players played 625 yards in offense, the second shutout in a row. I mean, everybody had good things happen. Even McCoy, the tight end, end caught a touchdown pass. So (laughs) he was happy. How about the penalty situation? Two penalties for 15 yards. So, And how about Beeler in the kickoff? I mean, that kid can really kick I, i'm gonna tell you probably the all-time insult to a team would be to send him on the field only him on a kickoff put the tee down <laughs> have him kick the ball and then have him run off the field <laughs> i mean i mean because his kicks i think they they scored i mean i think i i think six or seven of his kickoffs went out of the end zone you can't even return it
1: yeah they did so, coach. It was... it's
2: tremendous isn't it
1: and they, the one return they did have i think was a really deep one i mean the guy was like eight yards deep in the end zone and uh, people love on the message boards on uscfootball.com people love david beeler because he's so physical too i mean you know he's fast and strong you know he looks like a safety or something he played safety he played fullback at usc but he's also the kicker i think people just love that that he's like a regular football player who can also kick
2: oh he can he was a great player at Santa Ana college he came out of there and Played linebacker there. He could be a running back. I think he's out of Foothill High School, too, down in Orange County. He's a heck of a player. And I'll tell you, he comes from a great family of, of great football players, too.
1: Definitely. And uh, he's fun to watch. But anyway, Coach, that I mean, for a 69 nothing game, a lot of Trojan fans came away, and they they just almost felt bad. You know, Usually you don't feel bad beating a team that badly, but people did. Let's look forward to what's going to be a really tough game, I think, on Saturday, uh, University of Arizona. The U of A, it's going to be crazy that they just beat Cal. Explosive offense, uh, a very balanced offense, I think Arizona has. Uh, I mean, it's going to be tough for USC to, to keep them off the scoreboard like they have their last two opponents in the previous two weeks. But they have, I think, a 10-quarter 10, 10 scoreless streak going so far. What do you think is going to happen up there in uh, Arizona?
2: Well, I'll tell you, I think it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Arizona's 5-2-3-1 and two and three and one on the year. You know, they got beat two weeks ago by Stanford. At Stanford, they came home and upset Cal. You know, Cal's a good football team. In fact, Cal was up 24-14 and a half, and it shows a lot of character for the Wildcats because they could have just closed it down and say, oh, man, we lost to Stanford. We're down 24-14 and a half. Uh, it's not going to happen for us. But they came out in that third quarter and really played well. Tenacious football, and they scored so quickly. They've got great athletes. They've got great skill people. They've got a great quarterback, and they discovered a new running back out of Las Vegas, Antolin, who's just a little guy like Rogers from Oregon State. He gets lost behind the offensive line, and he's hard to find. He's 5'8", 180 pounds. And I think he rushed for 100, 120 yards or something against uh, California. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure if the Bears are as good as what people think uh anticipated them to be I I, I I but that's that's of course i'm guessing longshore now should be really at the heights of his career and i watched that game a little bit and i didn't see him really perform up to the level i expected him to but arizona got on a roll and the crowd got into a roll and stoops got into a roll and uh and everybody you know got into a roll. arizona plays with a nasty attitude And what I mean by that, they're an angry type of team when they get going. They've got a lot of kids from California and Texas where football is big. Stoops comes from Oklahoma where, you know, they've won a lot of games there. At the beginning of the season, he was on the bubble. He has to win. He has to go to a bowl game, and he's on the verge of doing that. And, And I think it's a dangerous trip for the Trojans. I really do because they're waiting for this game. This is what they call their bowl game. It's the Wildcat Bowl. They've been talking about it the entire week. People aren't talking about their victory over Cal. People on campus and in Arizona and Arizona alumni, you know what they're talking about? The USC game. That's everybody's game. So right now there's going to be a lot of excitement down there. It's going to be a big game. And I really think the key to this game is not allow Arizona to get rolling. Now when you think about this and you go back to the Oregon State game, what happened there? They allowed Oregon State to get rolling. They got the crowd into the game. They built confidence in Oregon State, because Oregon State might get beat by Arizona. I don't even know if they've played. I don't think they have yet. But you can't allow them to believe that they can play with you or beat you. You've got to go out there, and you've got to put together an opening drive like they did against Washington State. You've got to put doubt in not only the players' minds, but in the crowd's minds so that when they see that score or remember that score, 69 nothing, they say, wow, they are that good. But if you encourage them, like FC's had that type of game in encouraging UCLA, encouraging Stanford in losses, if you go to Arizona and encourage this team, because FC can't be beat by someone else. FC gets beat when they assist that team, when they help that team put themselves in a position where that team can beat them with turnovers and penalties and the crowd getting into the game. But if USC goes to Tucson and plays their type of game and takes the crowd out of the game and makes the Wildcats believers, FC can win the game by what the number of the odds are. And I think the number now is up to 16. It's opened at 14 and a half. It's up to 16. And I think that could happen. Now, I'm not talking about gambling. I'm just saying I think they can do that. But there's a lot of things you have to do, Ryan, to make that happen.
1: Yeah, that's true, and I think the line play is going to be really important as well. Uh, getting off to a good start, like you said, is going to be paramount. I think USC, struggle, especially when you have a, a, a good balanced team like this, if you can put them in more passing situations and get out and score a couple of touchdowns early, you kind of take them out of their offense, and that usually you know bodes pretty well. It seems to be, at least helps the USC defense a lot when USC can get a lead and they can kind of pin their ears back and go after them a little bit. It just seems to me... The line play is going to be really important. And I, Pete Carroll said something interesting yesterday, and I wanted you to comment on this. He said that the Arizona defense is more of a—they a, stay in their base defense a lot, and it, they're not bringing a whole bunch of different looks at you. They're—they're they're kind of just come at you with what they do, and they don't really adjust to what you're doing. As as you know, they just really do what they do, and they try to do it well. I talked to offensive line coach Pat Rule. He said the same thing about the Ohio State defensive line, he's like, they're not going to switch things up. They're going to come at you with their guys and they're going to, you know, they practice what they do and they try to do that. Well, well the USC offensive line handled that handled that really well against Ohio state. They had, you know, troubles against Oregon state, a team that did mix things up and do did some unorthodox things that USC didn't see was coming to me. I mean, that bodes well for the offensive line for this week, because if, if Arizona is just going to line up and do what's expected it seems like USC can handle that pretty well. Can you comment on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, first of all, uh, when you teach basics, you teach what you do well, and you don't change it as long as you're having success. But you also do things in there. You put wrinkles in what you do well for big games like this. You've got to be prepared for anything against the University of Arizona, but what do they have to lose? Everyone's expecting SC to beat them. So you can't sit back and play to lose you got to, or play to close. You've got to play to win. So you got to do what it takes to win a football game. I, I don't look for them to just sit in the base de- uh, defense the entire game. I look for them to mix it up. I look for them to do cross charges. I look for them to blitz and stunt. I look for them to get after it. Uh, I, I really do. Now, you know, I might be wrong, but I'm telling you, if I'm playing USC and they've got the best players in America, how can I play them base if, if we're taking advantage of their defense? My ex is bigger and you're old. Or better, so I don't think you can do that. It's I don't think it's giving your kids an advantage when when you do that. Now I'm not telling your kids you're going to change things, because if you change a lot of things, then your kids don't believe you can win. But what you do is you add to what you have to take advantage of things that they haven't seen, like USC hasn't seen, to get after them. And you really get after them with blitzes and do different things, especially if they've broken it down on air formation tendencies or hash mark tendencies, or what do they do, or substitution tendencies uh, when certain people are in the game. Then you really take advantage of that stuff. You really have to, or you're not doing a good job of coaching.
1: No, I, I agree with you, Coach. It's it's interesting because Ohio State definitely had X's that were about as big as USC's X's. You could argue that USC's a little bigger, or faster, or whatever, but I, I think they're no, that's a team that's used to just being better than whoever they play and so they do what they do and that usually works but if you play a team that's equal and we've seen that uh you know in their bowl games the last couple years and against USC that didn't really work all that well for them so I I agree with you too I mean Pete Carroll said that you know it looks like they stay in their base defense a lot but I, I just don't think they'll be able to uh, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, maybe they throw some wrinkles in that Pete Carroll wasn't expecting. But I, I think the key, really, you got to watch that offensive line. If they can get the running game going, and really, like you said, put some points early. That's going to be paramount to, to winning this game.
2: It really is. And if you watched Oregon State, which you did, you were there, I saw a rhythm in their offense this past weekend. There wasn't a lot of alternating of running backs, they had three running backs that played, all three running backs performed, and each running back got a lot of carries. I mean, 15, 13, whatever carries they got, where they started to get a feel of the game and what, what where to break back and see the seams and, and so on. And I think that was really good. I'd like to see USC continue with that type of rotation of the backs and give some of these backs additional carries and so on. So these guys build confidence and run themselves in the shape and get used to getting hit and, and spin and do whatever they need to do. And if you notice, the offense had rhythm, a lot of rhythm. There wasn't a lot of confusion. The backs were confidence. And, and I like seeing that, too. And I hope they have that chance to do again uh, this
1: coming week. All right, Coach. Well, we're out of time for this segment. Thank you very much for uh, joining us again. And uh, we'll talk to you next week about what happened in that Arizona game.
2: Again, thank you for allowing me to be with you.
1: Oh, definitely. Everyone else, you can uh, check out. If you need tickets for this weekend, go to uh, sctickets.com or give them a call, 800-888-7287. But stay tuned. After the break, we're going to talk to ESPN's Bruce Feldman about what's going on, the whole college football landscape, and the first BCS poll. So stay tuned.
0: The Peristyle Podcast will be back after this short break. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back, Jordan fans. It's our second segment of the Parastyle Podcast, and as promised, we have a very special guest. You can see him on ESPN all the time. He's on that show, College Football Live, and you can read his book, Meat Market, came out last year. and It's out in paperback now. Bruce Feldman. Bruce, how you doing, man?
3: I'm doing good, Ryan. How are you doing today?
1: Good, good, good. Thanks. Just real quick, tell people how they can uh, get a hold of your book.
3: The easiest way to get me market if they're a big fan of recruiting is uh just to go on either Amazon dot com and search for it or go to my website BruceFeldman dot com and you can get it uh at a reduced rate there.
1: What BruceFeldman dot com? I don't think I even knew about that. Wow. Very nice, Bruce.
3: Yeah, I keep that a secret. It's uh <laughs> it's where I talk about all my golf victories over your uh your trojans beat writer dan
1: wakin yes definitely uh, but yeah that's a good part of marketing if you don't let anyone know about what you got that's good that's a that's a good way to go i learned that in school i believe
3: yeah well i wasn't a good student so that's why uh, <laughs> i haven't figured that part out yet
1: all right well bruce uh just first bcs polls came out overall you know the first 10 picks or so do you think it's about where it should be for this time of the season
3: yeah, I mean, you know, I think people need to take take it with a bit of a grain of salt just because there's a lot of stuff that's going to shake out. I mean, these things change so much and uh you know, obviously when you have, you know, the USC Ohio State dynamic is a little quirky to say that, but I mean, that's what happens when you when it's there's a lot of stuff that's wide open right now. I think we'll know a lot more obviously in another month.
1: Yeah, that you talked about the USC Ohio State dynamic um I was actually had to tape a segment for college football now, which I guess competes with the show you're on sometimes college football live, but on the NFL network, I'll be on that on Wednesday. And you know, they, they asked about that, about being number five in the BCS where USC is right now. And I said, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Obviously it's more important to be number one or number two. in that second to last poll in December, when you can get to the championship game. But the weird thing about the whole BCS is probably the most important game on the schedule for USC is one that's not on USC schedule. It's the Ohio State-Penn State game. I mean, that's a really big one where you could not only knock out Penn State ahead of USC, move them up a spot, uh, but also it makes that win over Ohio State all that more important.
3: Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, I think it's the biggest game of the week. Now you, you have, obviously, Texas playing Oklahoma State. That's two undefe- you know, undefeated teams going up, a one and a, a six, according to the BCS rankings. But to me, the game that everybody needs to watch is that is that Penn State trip into Ohio State just because Penn State wins out, and this is really the toughest game they have left on their schedule. Their schedule is not very strong. I mean, you know, there's, it's not like it's loaded with top 15, you know, opponents. This is as good as it's going to get. If Penn State wins that game, they're going to be undefeated, and then that gives them a really good chance – you know, it, it, it definitely boxes out a lot of one-loss teams. And I think it definitely would box out USC just because, you know, if you're Penn State, they've already beaten Oregon State. And on the, on face value at the time, that didn't mean too much. But the fact that, you know, they beat Oregon State and really hammered them and USC didn't, I think mean, that's going to hold, hold it against USC. I think there's other things that it would hurt just because, you know, if, if you're an SEC school and you're a Big 12 school, and you're a one-loss team, you have a conference title game, You know whether it's a Florida or an Alabama or even a Georgia, there's enough chances to, to impress voters with wins over top 15 teams. Unfortunately for USC, this has been a horrible year in the Pac-10. I'm not sure there's another Pac-10 team that is legitimately a top 25 team this year. And when you have that, I mean, the only saving grace is that Virginia all of a sudden doesn't look so awful, and maybe Virginia can, can sneak into a bowl game and that kind of boosts your stock. And then if you're, you're a USC guy, you got to hope that Notre Dame wins all their games and comes into that game, you know, whatever, 9-2, uh, and two. and hopefully for USC, then they would be in the top 25. But, um, you know, that's not a reason to... That's, there's not a lot to be that optimistic about right now with that.
1: Yeah, I think it pains a lot of the USC fans that they have to root for... Notre Dame, But they really do. They need them to go there. And, and as you said, especially if Penn State gets in undefeated, it's going to be tough if you have a one-loss Big 12 team or a one-loss SEC team or both playing in a championship game against a really high-caliber opponent and USC is playing a 5-6 and six UCLA team or something like that. I mean, there's just not going to be the same kind of buzz for that game the same weekend.
3: Yeah, I mean, I got this qu- uh, question yesterday asked to me about – on a chat on, on, uh, on ESPN.com about who would you pick on a neutral field, USC or whoever. And I said, I would pick USC. The problem with that is, you know, it doesn't work that way just because there has to be something on the, on the resume. If you were to tell me today, you know, Wednesday or even Thursday, USC or Penn State, even if it was in Happy Valley, I think USC would be a favorite. And if it was on a neutral field, I think USC would be a 10-point favorite over Penn State but right now there's no way you could have justify USC ranked ahead of them just because one has a loss and the loss happened to be to a team that that uh, that Penn State beat and so you know when you have all that stuff it's just the resume is that's all people have to go on I mean people have this this kind of misconception that you just rank who you think is the best team out there and there's some of that when it comes to a lot of the variables being equal but it doesn't really work that way uh, ultimately just cuz you have to go by i mean I, I still don't think there's a lot of people who are totally sold on on alabama there's definitely not that are that are sold on some of these other teams that are undefeated you know texas tech falls in that category but if they if they went out i mean they would have beaten a lot of very good teams and i think there's no way for you to get around that other than you just have to kind of say well they they did what what was asked of them
1: yeah i mean usc would be fine if they didn't lay an egg up there in Corvallis. I mean, they'd probably still be number one. And even if the schedule wasn't that tough, and that was all the talk before that game after they beat Ohio State, if they're undefeated, are they going to be able to hang on? It's like, yeah, they would have been able to hang on. I mean, it wasn't going to be, I mean, you know, Penn State or something wouldn't have been jumping them. But, you know, it was their own problem. I mean, they they lost to an inferior team. They let them get out to an early lead, and they just kind of fell flat on their face. I think, I mean, USC just has themselves to blame. They wouldn't be in this position where they need all the help that they can get if they would have just took care of their own business.
3: Exactly. I mean, USC, to me, the best thing that had going before that game was this aura of invincibility where, you know, I remember being out at, at practice. We were out there the week of the Ohio State game. You have a lot of media out there, and, and the national media comes in, and, you know, obviously we live out here. We go, you know, see them regularly. But the national media comes in, and their eyes get get all big. You see you know, wow, Damien Williams is really this good, and wow, oh, my God, look how big Taylor Mays is, and look at him run, and you got Ray Maluga here and Brian Cushing over there. I mean, there is this awe factor with USC, and people want to believe they really do. And then when it comes down and they lose this game after Oregon State, now all of a sudden the thing that I think was really startling just to watch that game was – you know, this wasn't like Stanford where it was Fluky and John David Booty throwing four picks, and, and you know, Stanford really didn't do much other than made one play really at the end of the game. You you look at, I mean, this was Oregon State really taking it to USC, and I think that there's an element of people out there or, or pollsters who are going to say, you know what, for as talented as USC is, they're very capable of, of just coming out really flat and kind of sleepwalking, whether that's true or not and then coming up with a clunker. I mean, there are people who think USC is going to go down one more time the rest of the regular season. And um I think because of that, you you're right. It is it's USC's own doing. I mean, give credit to Oregon State and their coaches, but I mean, USC didn't if they had won that game, they wouldn't be worried about Penn State and some of these other things. They would have had their own destiny now. I don't think they control their own destiny.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think all teams are capable of having clunker games. And you can survive them, and you can't. And if, uh, if you're playing a team that's as fired up to play you as they've ever been, and you're going to see that this weekend in Arizona, and USC comes out and plays a clunker, I mean, they could easily get beat uh, by Arizona, by the Wildcats this weekend. So I, I think there's definitely potential losses on the schedule, but it, it seems to be more in USC's control. Like, if USC plays well... They probably aren't going to lose to anybody, you know. But it's, if they don't play well, you're probably playing someone that's really fired up to play you, and you can lose easily.
3: Yeah, and I think you know Arizona is a little a dangerous team. I mean, they have a great tight end, Rob Gronkowski, a great receiver, Mike Thomas. The running backs, you know, were really impressive last week. The other thing is. Willie Tuatama, obviously players play better at home than they do on the road. The difference with Willie Tuatama, their quarterback, is is startling, though. I mean, he completes about 55% of his passes on in road games, and he's up near 80% at home. And that's pretty. That's a pretty big deal when you're talking about a guy with his comfort level. Obviously he's played USC a lot. He's familiar with their, their personnel, their talent level. And if USC doesn't come out, especially if they don't have – if they have a bunch of turnovers like they had in the second half a couple of weeks ago and just get sloppy Arizona has enough talent and enough momentum going where they could keep it interesting the last thing USC needs is for this game to be going into the fourth quarter where it's within a touchdown because then you know you never know if the ball is going to bounce your way or how fate's going to treat you and i think they need to they they do need to be impressive and i think winning is great but i think it's really about them showing you know the other team, and kind of we're going to come out and dominate. Not we're going to we're going to flip the switch at the last minute like we do in the second half sometimes.
1: Yeah, even if people ahead of them hold serve and USC squeaks out a win, they might need to they they might need those style points just to stay where they are, not even to move up. Uh, but there was a lot of action. There's going to be a lot of top ten action this week, so the polls will probably be all different when we see them coming out next week. It'll be interesting. I want to talk a little bit more nationally about some stuff. I mean, you have to take your hat off to, to Texas. I mean, they are playing a really brutal part of their schedule and they're going through it, you know, pretty well right now. They look great. I mean, they beat uh, your pick for the national champion, Missouri, I believe. Didn't you pick them to, to win it all? Bruce? I
3: did. I did. And I really, <laughs> you know, I hung to it then last week cause I was, even after they, they, they got sloppy and lost to Oklahoma state. I was like, you know what? Chase Daniel's going to go in there and He's a Texas kid. Always wanted to be a Longhorn, and he's not going to have two bad performances in a row. And he did. I mean, and a lot of that credit goes to, to Texas. I mean, their defensive line is very good. Uh, Brian Arakpo is one of the best team, best pass rushers in the country, and Roy Miller's an All-American inside. But the the real deal there is Colt McCoy. I mean, the improvement he's made from last year to this year has been amazing. I mean, last year he's 22 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. This year he's almost completing. You know, 82% of his passes. He's just playing at such a high level. I mean, he makes really good decisions. I don't know if he can sustain it. I mean, if he can, great. More power to him. He'll get the. He'll win the Heisman and deserve it. But um, you know, he's been almost flawless. He made one, you know, kind of bad mistake in the Oklahoma game, and Oklahoma dropped the interception in the end zone. I don't know if he made any real mistakes against Missouri. It didn't look like it. And they're. I mean, now they're getting play. Chris Obanaya was a fifth year senior running back who was just kind of a journeyman really hasn't hadn't been much of a factor in the last month all of a sudden he's, he's running like an all-American so these guys have responded to that competition really going up i mean when the schedule wasn't that hard obanai wasn't much of a factor now all of a sudden they're playing top 15 teams and he he looks great so you know mac brown doesn't get a ton of respect or credit as a as a big time coach but you have to give him and a staff credit cuz these guys have definitely dialed it up
1: yeah, I mean, if you want to be playing well, now's the time. Like, it wasn't really great for their schedule, at least, to play well the first few games when you're playing Patsy's. Now, when you're playing a top 15 team every week, boom, this is when you want to be hitting on all cylinders. They definitely look like they are. I mean, they look really tough right now.
3: Yeah, and it's weird just because we saw that team that, that beat us a few years ago in the Rose Bowl, and you looked on that team, and there was a lot of guys who were first-round picks, definitely first-day picks, obviously Vince Young. But in that secondary, you had a lot of players. You had big NFL linemen. Um, this team, I don't know, aside from maybe Roy Miller and Brian Arakpo, I don't see, I don't think you're going to see Jordan Shipley or Quan Cosby as first-round picks. I don't even know what people will think of Colt McCoy when he comes out. Uh, you definitely won't see open eye in the first round. I don't think any offensive linemen. But they are playing so well as a team that it's just it's a little different. I mean, that other team was, a, was really impressive. This one is just, you know, sometimes the, the, maybe the lesser personnel and the more less imposing guys tend to produce better as a team, and that's what it seems to be now. I mean, like I said, I don't know if they can sustain it, but so far it's been pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to respect the chemistry that they have. And like you said, if there's not the same kind of NFL talent on the team, at least they're playing together really well. We'll see if they can keep it up. It's going to be tough four weeks in a row with opponents like that. But overall, and, you know, the SEC and the Big 12, you got to say that are two toughest conferences right now. I mean, the Big 12, those teams are putting up a lot of points. And the SEC, not, not as much, but there's, I mean, it seems to be more SEC is better defense, Big 12, better offense. Do you think that the, I mean, what, What factor is there? Do you think the Big 12 defenses are bad? Do you think the Big 12 offenses are just really that good, and and vice versa in the SEC?
3: I think the Big 12 quarterbacks right now are just really, really impressive, and I think that's where it starts. Because you have a lot of guys who are three-year starters and have all this experience. You have a lot of guys who are just really smart decision-makers, very accurate. I'm not sure. you know, If you were to line up the SEC quarterbacks against the Big 12 quarterbacks, Ultimately, five years from now, maybe there'll be more guys in the, from the SEC who are NFL quarterbacks. I mean, we hear how great Matthew Stafford is as an NFL prospect. He hasn't been that great of a college quarterback. He's been pretty good. But, you know, where you see a Todd Riesing, who's no NFL prospect, but he just produces. I mean, Chase Daniels, barely six feet, but he's been terrific. I mean, we see Colt McCoy, Sam Bradford. You go down the list. Zach Robinson from Oklahoma State is incredibly efficient and, you uh, you know, it's it, you have Josh Freeman at Kansas State. He's probably going to be an NFL guy. I mean, that's where I think it starts. You have a lot of experienced guys. I mean, it's not like the defenses are terrible there because they uh, most of them can handle the run. It is just when they get spread out. I mean, you know, then it's a different story. I think you have a lot of people who get in these shootouts though, and I think it's hard to slow down. As far as as far as the SEC, I just think there's not a lot of experience playing quarterback. You have Tebow. I and mean, then there's a big drop off to Stafford, and an even bigger drop off. I and mean, there's a couple of teams, Alabama, can really run it because they have a really good offensive line. But then beyond that, I think you, I, I think it's the SEC has kind of backslid in the pack, and the and the Big Twelve has caught up to them. Just because I don't think the SEC offense is, you know, there's a lot of inexperienced offensive lines, and there's also a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks. And I think that's why the gap has gotten
1: so close between those two leagues. All right, should be some really good games. This weekend, do you think, uh, I think there's going to be any surprises out there? What Any upsets, you think, Bruin? some of those top teams that are playing?
3: I think there could be one. Actually, one of the better games that people haven't talked about yet is a, is a Friday night game with San Jose State against Boise. I know Boise has is, is started to get on people's radar. San Jose State has a really good pass rush. Dick Tomey, obviously Pac-10 people remember what a good coach he is. I think that's a, that's a dangerous one. I think Penn State is going down this weekend against Ohio State. I mean to me I'm not sure that's a big big upset but I think that obviously you have a, a top 3 team that would go down. I think Ohio State will be will kind of respond and and to me they'll be more physical than Penn State has seen. I think that'll be a big difference. Those are to me the two most likely upsets this weekend. All
1: right. I and mean, you talked about the Ohio State game. They're 4-0 in the Big 12. Obviously they're not they don't seem like they're the same team that they are when they played USC. Beanie Wells wasn't playing in that game prior played but he wasn't the starter is this something you typically see that that teams kind of get better I mean I think I think we've seen it with USC in the past but then they'll they're capable of laying an egg in the last game of the year too but they it seems like you know some of these teams don't come out of fall camp as powerful as they end up being later on is this something you kind of see a lot of
3: you can when it's a team that has you know a freshman true freshman quarterback and obviously you know, so much of that was Wells getting injured. I'm not sure that, you know, this, this wasn't an impressive Ohio State team till last weekend. I mean, their offensive line was really suspect, and their passing game hadn't really produced much. So it wasn't like, and actually their defense wasn't great. I mean, I think their defense has been slightly, slightly underwhelming so far. Well, last week they got Michigan State, and it was kind of a man-up game, and they stepped up. And I think now all of a sudden everybody's back on the bandwagon or as much as you can be for Ohio State, and that's changed. Now, I think that so much of that does have to do with Pryor getting comfortable there. There's a lot of things Pryor does that are really impressive. Of course, there's things that it's hard to get the passing game going. I mean, he has to be sure where he's throwing the ball. Other quarterbacks will will release it and maybe they're pretty sure that the guy's going to be there. Prior, I think, is so afraid to make some mistakes in the passing game. He holds it too long. That leads to sacks. That leads to you know, missed big play opportunities. Some of those things I think he's getting better at. So to me, that's why you see this progression. I think you see that with a lot of teams just because you don't have s- starters who have so much experience together.
1: All right, last one for you, Bruce. You are talking about, last thing, Ohio State and Penn State. Who do you think is the more... Talented team because to me it seems like I'm not I'm not sure who's more talented but to me Ohio State's game plan used seems to work well when they're more talented but when they're up against a team that's as talented as they are or or they're you know less talented than their opponent they seem to struggle mightily do you think that they're they can out talent Penn State as opposed to out scheme them
3: I think they have a chance to I, I think ultimately you may see Beanie Wells be the best player on the field. Saturday night, I I I could definitely see that happening. I mean, I think that Penn State is very is very solid across the board. I don't think their offensive line gets enough credit. I think Evan Roysters a really good running back. He doesn't get enough credit. But if Ohio State eventually can just wear them down, I mean, look, we see this with Ohio State's offensive line in big games. They get exposed as pass blockers a lot. If they just decide, hey, we're this is one thing we can be physical and attack you. And with Beanie Wells, they can do that. When he wasn't out here against USC, I mean, that really took a lot of their identity away. And I think that kind of, you know, I don't think they would have won the game, but I think they were kind of lost without him. I think with him back there, with him cranked up, I think they can be more physical, and that plays into their strength. So I think they're going to be the more talented team just because of Wells. And I think you can get Terrell Pryor to do a couple of things to make some big plays happen where, you know, he may make some things that will be demoralizing big plays where stuff breaks down and, and that kind of backbreakers for Penn State because they haven't had stuff go go against them much this year.
1: Well, seven losses in a row for the Nittany Lions in the horseshoe. All USC fans will be checking it out. Bruce and they can check you out, ESPN.com, College Football Live. He's on almost every week. And the book Meat Market, you can find that on BruceFeldman.com. Bruce, thanks for very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Ryan. All right. Everyone else, stay tuned. We're going to have a really quick break, and we'll be back with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wyke.
0: You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans. To get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com Network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: We are back. It's the third and final segment of the Peristyle Podcast, and as promised, we have USCfootball.com beat writer extraordinaire, Dan Wykey. Dan, what's up, man? How you doing, Ryan? Things are going pretty good. Not too bad. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the team a little bit in this last segment, but first off, there's a couple interesting uh, events going on at USC this weekend. I want to see if you want to mention those real quick.
4: Yeah, you know, Trojan uh, fans aren't you know, going down to uh, the game, they should definitely check out some stuff. Uh, Friday night at the Coliseum, I believe, at uh, seven thirty.
1: Seven o'clock. The I USC, think
4: it is. Seven o'clock? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm a late, fashionably late arriver, typically. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, at seven o'clock. Uh, the USC women's soccer team is playing UCLA in an attempt to break the uh, attendance record for the largest uh, crowd to witness a collegiate soccer, a women's collegiate soccer game, and they're going to be playing at the Coliseum. Um both really good teams really heated rivalry um obviously you know it, it's it's a big rivalry and football and basketball but it's also a big rivalry and and all sorts of sports and uh, women's soccer the te- both teams are very talented both teams had members of the u.s olympic team um that, that won gold in beijing uh really good soccer uh it, it'd be you know if fans aren't making the trip to arizona i would highly recommend checking that out it would be uh a lot of fun. Be great for kids too. Um, really, it'll be it, it'd be a special evening, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I think they're trying to get fifteen thousand there. The record is like fourteen thousand and change, something like that. And uh, USC is, I believe, ranked right, number nine right now, and UCLA number three. And uh, UCLA had beaten USC in women's soccer. I believe it was nine times in a row until last year. UCLA won the conference, but UC, USC comes back and beats them. Uh, and then goes on to win the national title. So uh, it, it was uh, kind of a record thing for USC. I mean, they had never won a women's soccer national title before, and they just went on a, a really just streaky kind of roll at the end of the season and won the title.
4: Yeah, that throws uh, fuel on the proverbial fire, uh, definitely. I mean, this, this game means a lot to the girls. I know um, from just talking to people uh, who work with uh, the women's soccer program, I mean, this, this is a big game for them, and uh, they really want to try to get as many people out there Many Trojan fans out there, as possible to uh, to cheer him on. Uh, you know, it makes a difference.
1: And then, uh, what about basketball?
4: And then on Sunday, um, Tim Floyd and and his guys are doing something kind of neat. Uh, Sunday morning, they are doing uh, an event called uh, Dribble for the Cure, which is uh, it's a charity event that uh, benefits pediatric cancer research, which is you know just a wonderful cause. And uh, what they what they'll be doing is. Um, uh, there'll be like kind of a carnival atmosphere with games and food and entertainment and stuff at the Galen center. And then from there they will, uh, they will actually participants who um, who get pledges and stuff like that will, uh, will dribble kind of a course through campus um, with the team. And then it, it all culminates with uh, the uh, annual uh, inter-squad uh, Cardinal and gold scrimmage at, at Galen, which is uh, free. So, you know, and, and this is a very good men's basketball team too. I'm sure we'll talk about them a lot um you know here in the next coming weeks uh you know this is a very good team um some really exciting newcomers DeMar DeRozan who is just fantastic um if anybody uh got a chance to see him in the um McDonald's All-American game uh last year he, he won the dunk contest he is a exciting exciting slashing guard who uh Really, I mean, he's fun to watch. He's for people who love basketball. He's a, he's a great player. He's very exciting. A lot of people project him as one of the top players in college. Um, if he were to come out after his freshman year, he'd be a top five pick already. Is what kind of what the the consensus pro um, the consensus is on him. I've seen him as high as three in some uh, some mock drafts early. So I mean, and that's before I mean this guy's I've even never played a college game. So
1: sounds yeah, a lot like O.J. Mayo there.
4: Yeah, um, he's a little different than OJ. Um, OJ was more of kind of a point guard. Um, you know, Damar is more, um, give me the ball, I'm going to go dunk on you, which is always fun to watch.
1: Yeah, so, definitely. That's always a good time.
4: That'll be a great thing. Um, if you guys want, if anybody wants to sign up for that, you can go uh, to www.dribbleforthecure.com. And uh, there's more information there too about registering. And you you don't have to do you don't have to register beforehand. You can you can come down onto the Galen Center Sunday morning and register there too.
1: And uh, if you want tickets for the Friday night game, you can also call one two one three seven four zero go sc, and you can get tickets. They got all kinds of specials and stuff going on now for Friday night. If you want tickets for the soccer match as well.
4: If I were in town, I'd be attending both.
1: And you will not be Dan because you will be in. Tucson, Arizona, birthplace of, I believe it's the birthplace of, but it's where at least he grew up, Chris O'Dowd. (laughs) uh, Um,
4: Yeah, it is Chris O'Dowd and also uh, where they filmed the the wonderful movie Revenge of the
1: Nerds. Wow. So much going on there in Tucson, Arizona. (laughs) We don't really need to talk about Washington State because they were terrible and and USC thumped them. Uh, Oh, come on. There's so much to talk about. They scored
4: 10 touchdowns. Yeah, it was... was it was as one-sided of a football game. Do you know what? I was I wanted to write this into one of my stories, but I couldn't figure out the right way to word it. Maybe I can do better conversationally. It was sort of like if you were playing video games against somebody, and you unplugged the controller without them knowing. <laughs> that's kind of what it looked like. Where it's just like all their guys are just kind of standing still, and there's these huge holes, and he's just like, okay, boom, touchdown. Yeah, that's kind of what it looked like to
1: it me. Was- it was not easy to watch in person, not easy to watch on TV. Not, yeah, it just wasn't all that great of a game. So, I mean, yes, of course, it was cool for all the Georgian fans at USC 1, but just not very exciting. So, a game yeah, that it was, should it be a, exciting. Yeah, it was a weird. It was a weird. It was a weird locker room.
4: You know, like I've seen a head coach like be apologetic before for dismantling a team.
1: So, and walking off the field in the first half without trying to score in the red zone.
4: I've never seen that before. You.
1: It's like, are you serious? Like, I thought that was more of an insult to actually leave the field. Like, ah, twenty five seconds left. We're in the red zone. We got timeouts.
4: Nah, We're at we'll... ten.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we'll just walk away.
2: <laughs> yeah,
4: no, we, we could uh, score again I mean, the time. One, yeah, yeah, if they would have snapped the ball one more time, they would have scored. I mean, there's like almost zero question in my mind about that. If it was, I, you know, I. Didn't, I, I can see where, you, where you'd say that'd be, like, more of an insult, but I don't think that was the intention. I mean, Piccaro, you know, I mean, really went out of his way to try not to, to necessarily to score as many points. I mean, you, they ran the same play, essentially, for the overwhelming bulk of the second half, and Washington State still couldn't stop it against USC's second- and third-string guys. And, I mean, I mean, Broderick Green's a guy who, at the start of the year, um, was the sixth of six running backs at Virginia.
1: And he got 100 and, yards.
4: <laughs> and two touchdowns and looked like unstoppable. And a half.
1: Well, they'll add Joe McKnight. The thing that bothers me, and I liked your piece today on the site, uh, about the running backs getting to a rhythm. I don't know if they're going to be able to get in a rhythm now because Joe McKnight's coming back. I mean, this wasn't like, okay, Pete Carroll decided to run – gable and stefan johnson and let them get in a rhythm it was basically they are gotten a rhythm because of injuries now you got more guys back i think that's going to hurt them in tucson
4: yeah a little bit you know i mean it's i think the i was talking with stefan and and we were talking a little bit after the interview and, and you know that's always a good time to try to, to, to get you know because guys talk differently sometimes stefan was just kind of like you know he he if, if they were freshmen if, if stefan and cj were both true freshmen who hadn't been through this before, I think it would really affect them. I think it would be, you know, they would all of a sudden, they'd be flat. They wouldn't be able to run the ball and stuff like that, you know, because they'd be coming out, you know, after a play or two, rotating and stuff like that. And, you know, it would really affect them. I think at this point, though, both those guys have been around the program for, you know, three years each. And I think they're kind of used to it, you know. It's just kind of – it is what it is. Um, he's not going to change his mind about it. I mean, that's made, been made abundantly clear. Um, you know, no matter how many times he's been asked it, no matter how many different ways he's been asked it. I mean, they have a plan for the most part, that plan has worked. I mean, I don't know how you can look at their win loss record and say it hasn't worked, you know, I mean, essentially to anything that they've done and, you know, it's, it's what he's going to do. It's what he wants to do. It, they do it for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, Carroll will say the reason why they rotate running backs is because it keeps guys fresh. You know, they, they can specialize with guys. Like, you know, they can use Stefan if they want to use him in short yardage. You know, if they want to pass, they can use Joe, and they can do all these different things. They can do some stuff with them together. And, and you know, he I think he likes that aspect of it. I also think it doesn't hurt when it comes to recruiting because, you know, I mean think about recruiting a running back for next year, you know, for the 2009 class, you look, I mean, they have six scholarship running backs right now. Um, I'm, you know, is that right?
1: Six. Yeah. Well, seven. then they got, um, Mooney McNeil that seven. came in town. Yeah. yeah.
4: He he would be seven. So, you know, they, they've got all of those guys and how many of them are going to be here next year? Uh, all of them. All seven. Yeah. yeah. So, but they're able to still recruit running backs because I mean, in any given game, you know, five of them could play.
1: All right, you just, know, keep, in, just um, keep in mind, Dan, I'm the one asking the questions here, so don't be asking me any questions anymore, all right? We got, it was, we got that straight. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. All right. So I'm, let's, fe- I'm
2: feeling very inquisitive today. I'm right.
1: sorry. All right, so let's, we, we're, we're limited time, so we're going to you know, okay. keep that one short. Let's motor uh, along. Let's motor along. Willie Tuatama. I mean, there's so much going on with this kid. I and mean, he's played USC a couple times in the past. What did uh, Pete Carroll say about him this week at the press conference?
4: I mean, he loves him. I mean, you know, he's, he's an experienced quarterback who has command of the offense, you know, stop me this sounds familiar, with a good arm and the ability to make good, accurate throws. I mean, that that sounds a lot of the, like, those are a lot of the same reasons why he anointed Mark Sanchez as a starter back in the spring was because of all those things that he did well. I mean, you know, it was his command of the offense, his ability to make accurate reads and, 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 and to be, you know, not, I don't want to say careful with the ball, but but you treat the ball preciously and, and to and and to not turn it over. I mean Willie Tutama this year's throwing three interceptions, you know? I mean he's he's in the offense for I don't know if, gosh, I mean it's just a, an outside observer to the back, and I feel like he's been there for eight years. You know, I feel like he's been their quarterback forever. Um, you know, and uh he he understands the offense. I know earlier in the year, um I was uh, I was on a radio show, I, I forget in in which town, I think it was like Paducah, Kentucky, or something like that, and um, they had asked me, you know, if I'd saw a game where I thought USC could trip up. Obviously, it's before Oregon State, and I, I thought maybe going to Arizona. Um, you know, this is a must-win year for Mike Stoops, and they are as talented, talented as they've been under Stoops. They've got an explosive receiver. They've got a good running back. Um, the defense has been surprising. That you know, you lose a guy like Antoine Case and, and you get better, and then. Obviously, you've got a veteran quarterback and an offense that likes to throw the ball, and they can put up a ton of points. I mean, it's a little scary on paper, I think.
1: Definitely. I mean, it's it's, a, it's probably going to be the toughest game on USC's schedule left, and uh, there's still you know more than a t- two-touchdown favorite in this. But uh, you know, we talked about this with Coach Harvey Hyde. The Arizona fans of Tucson are fired up. They really didn't even care about that win over Cal. I mean, as soon as that was over, they were looking forward to this game. I mean, they know that USC... Is a giant that can be killed, and, and Oregon State proved that. And they would like nothing more than to to knock the USC Trojans down.
4: Oh, I agree. You know, I mean, it's it's. I think one of the interesting things is that you know USC, their fan base. You know, you get Nick Lachey out of games, you get Snoop occasionally, and stuff like that. The Fonz. Um, it. <laughs> uh,
1: who? The Fonz.
4: Oh no! Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Hey. Right, anyway, <laughs> so, and the fans are always around. Okay, and, uh, big question for me at Zona: Is the Hoff going to be in the house or not? Is David Hasselhoff going to be there? Big Arizona fan.
1: Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. We have to check. We'll put our uh, put our stat crew on that and check that out. All right, Dan. Well, unfortunately, but we're out of time. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. I have to go
4: out about talking on the Hoff. Well, that's, that's, that was that's your it? choice.
1: I didn't make you talk about the Hoff. That was your your decision there. So, <laughs> whoa, Dan, whoa, whoa.
4: the Hoff. The Hoff makes us all talk about the Hoff. Yes.
1: All right. There's a new Knight Rider coming out, so um, I wonder what the Hoff oh. thinks about. If you see the Hoff on the sidelines in Tucson, ask him about the new Knight Rider and what you think about that.
4: Well, there's a YouTube video of him with the, in, in the student section. Yeah. Coming around, so I mean, he could be in the sense he could, essentially he could be anywhere.
1: Whatever. Yes. Well, we'll see what happens. But anyway, Dan, enjoy your trip out to Tucson, and thanks for joining us here.
4: All right, thanks for having
1: me, Ryan. All right, everyone else, enjoy the game. And if you happen to be in Los Angeles or in the South Bay area, we're going to have a watch party at Hermosa Beach Sharkies. You can check uscfootball.com for more information, but they will have drink specials. I will be down there personally hosting that while Dan is manning the fort out there in Tucson. Everyone else, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Parastyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.